Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Cam! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Man, good content just keeps streaming in these days. And here I thought the summer would lull Ryan and I to sleep here on the TFS pod. You got game six of the NBA finals tonight, The NBA draft is around the corner. The Olympics are slated to start on Friday. College football talk is heating up with conference media days, recruiting picking back up, and everyone thinking this will be their year at this point. So where do we go from here? First, I'll give some thoughts and prayers to the young rising star from Grand Haven who was flat sucker punched and cold cocked in a game recently, crumpled to the floor, bashed his head and sustained a serious concussion. WTF is wrong with these AAU kids these days. To the kid who did that, good luck getting a job at Mickey D's, let alone a scholarship to play hoops. Stupid, just stupid. That on the books, let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. Yeah, I'll make this one quick, but I saw an article uh, this morning as I was reading Twitter, as I usually do in the morning, and it was headlined, the Olympics committee may still postpone game or cancel. I'm sorry, games up until this Friday. So they're still talking about this. There've been a decent amount of COVID cases that have come out of the Olympic Village. I think there's like 70 or something. Um, I guess they're in full panic mode about it. I'm begging you, please do not cancel these games. This will be a horrible look. It'll be a disgrace. We've had a year and a half to figure this crap out, and you still haven't done it. I, I don't get it. Like These people are mostly vaccinated. I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't, but that's not for me to understand. But it'll just make everybody in the world mad. I know Japan doesn't even want the Olympics to happen. They're mad about it. Um, but they're the ones that wanted it, so they're going to get it. Um, but if they cancel these games, man, there's going to be there's gonna be hell to pay. Um, around the world and from all these athletes, their their families, um, and the fans of all these sports. So please, please do not cancel the Olympics three days or less in advance. Please do not do that. Yeah, I mean, think about the the sacrifices that these athletes make to get there, and you're going to yank it. I mean, I read an article today about like six swimmers from the Polish swim team got sent home because they – somehow shouldn't have qualified or qualifying changed or something. That's on. That's not on Japan or the Olympics Committee. That's on the Polish Swimming Federation. What a bunch of idiots. But, I mean, come on. They're there. Let the ones that are healthy compete. These are young athletes in their prime. Nobody's going to die. You're not going to have fans there. Get on with the games. Get on with life. Get over this already for the 1800th time. Stop. All right, my take... Um, We've had a lot of chatter back and forth, plus a little shout out to JG. We've got a couple topics coming your way from you that you posed to us. Thank you for that. Um, We'll bring those into the the pattern in the coming weeks. But here's one that I banter back and forth with on text with buddies a lot, and it's NIL-based. So my take, Fab Five, Reggie Bush, Terrell Pryor, and any others out there who have publicly or privately stated you want your wins and your awards and your banners and stuff back from you know from the past given nil now wrong i mean are you serious should we erase drug convictions from years ago because marijuana is legal in most states now should we clear records of people busted for underage drinking just because the age was once 18 
No, you all flat out cheated in those times when this was not around. It was illegal then, therefore you cheated. Beyond that, I'm not sure, Jalen in particular, how getting baked goods full of cash is akin to getting paid for name, image, and likeness. What were you, quote, advertising? And prior, maybe don't trade tattoos for your so-called awards when it was illegal. Bottom line, NIL itself is fraught with enough potential issues, like the rich getting richer, a wild, wild west approach, and generally no real or clear guidance. Do we really need to listen to people who flat out cheated the system in their time and got busted, pine for what would rightfully, maybe, be theirs some 25 years later? No. Jalen, you especially, just shut up. All right, moving on to our tee-up of the week. Ryan's going to tell you who, and I will tell you why. This week's tee-up is going to our good pal who's been on this segment a few times, Mr. Bryson DeChambeau, the mad scientist. Yeah, good old Bryson DeChambeau. It's kind of become a theme there, Bry. Uh, this time for ripping Cobra, who, oh, by the way, only gives you millions of dollars in endorsement money and provides your jacked-up clubs. You know, and for ripping them and your driver or their driver after a bad opening round at the Open last weekend. Uh, brother, as they say, it ain't the arrow, it's the Indian. Give it a rest already, big boy. You and Brooks and anything like this just doesn't belong in golf. Want to broaden your fan base? Not sure we really need any increased fan base that will demean the spirit of golf, the true gentleman's game. Take your toddler tirades and boyish bickering with Brooks and shove it, Bryson. And staying with a common team today, theme today, just shut up and play. All right, that all out of the way, let's go, as we started last week, four downs. And staying on the open, first down, we will recap the open. I'll shoot first. Uh, admittedly, I didn't watch as much as usual since Ryan and I were on a golf trip of our own. Uh, more on that in a few, but I did follow it closely, and what I did listen to on XM Radio, or C, was brilliant. First tip of the cap to a true gentleman and the champion golfer of the year, Colin Morikawa. No bogeys his last 31 holes. Not a single three-putt all weekend, and that's a supposed weakness, except for in the Open and in the PGA, which he won last year. He is bar none the best ball striker in the world, and his calm was unreal for a 24-year-old in his first ever Open. But better than his golf was his, albeit short, but very gentlemanly trophy acceptance speech, where he thanked and acknowledged and congratulated and called attention to was far beyond the years of one of the best in the game. I mean, he, he lauded everybody, family, caddy, fellow players, amateur, um, and that, as I mentioned a minute ago, is a far cry from the Bryson Brooks BS that follows us to every freaking tournament. As for my foursome, like we talked about last week, they all made the cut. My winner, Shrek, Louis Ostazen, was oh so close to winning me some bucks too, but ended T3 and closes the 2021 major season with two runner-ups and a top three in his last three. Unreal. Feel for the guy that he hasn't been able to win, but... Um, you know, and I would have loved to hit the bet, but at least he had me in it. Um, you're going to get a Louis hanging there. Um, my fifth guy also got, came close to getting me some money. I mentioned him last week. It wasn't in my foursome, but Jordan Spieth. It was good to see him back. Love his imagination and the way he plays on Lynx golf. Uh, my long shot was Mackenzie Hughes, who would have paid out a cool 1755 bucks on a very small bet. He gave it a run and tied for sixth. So, not a bad showing for a long shot. Paul Casey tied for 15th. Xander Schauffele tied for 26th. He just still can't quite get over the hump. Maybe I should stop betting on him or putting him in my foursome for majors. And Lee Westwood did tank a bit to finish T59, but at least he made the cut. And now, by the way, anecdote, he has the most majors played without a win, I think, in the history of golf. Um, but all my horses, like I said, made the cut, even if they didn't all pay off. I already can't wait for the Masters, though the Olympics could be fun with that lineup that's there. There's actually a pretty good showing of people country to country. And, by the way, I think you can bet it. Um, some side notes. Listening to the broadcast of mostly English and Scottish lads and lassies 
is definitely an exercise in careful listening and a lot of laughs. Ryan and I got a lot of that in our drive time to and from the uh, great northern part of Michigan. Um, try to listen to open broadcast next year to hear what I mean. Um, I got to get over there and play a bunch of those courses. That's all I can say. I don't think I would fare very well. I'd probably be seeing triple digits in every round, but they just look like an absolute blast, especially in that sun-soaked, low-wind um, weekend type of condition that they had there. I think they were calling it a heat warning because it was almost 80 degrees there, which is like a record high, so crazy. But anyway, Ryan, what say ye? Yeah, I'm going to start off. Shout out to Colin, um, second major. Um, wow, he's he's a complete stud. Uh, this guy's this he's not even close to being done. He's going to win a lot of golf tournaments uh, before it's said and done in his career. I mean, like you said, best ball striker in the world, um, bar none. I mean, he, every time it's consistent. Um, but shout out to him. He just he just knows how to play, and he's wise beyond his years uh, for being a young guy and not having much experience on tour. Um, but Going to the foursome that I picked, I picked Rom on my foursome. Did really well. Made a Sunday charge. Didn't make a lot of putts actually, um, and he still finished T. I think T three. T three. Yeah. So high up there. Um, and also, while well, we're talking about up on the high on the leaderboard, shout out to Jordan. Uh, I think he's officially back. Uh, great tournament from him. Showed that he can still contend and that he can probably win another major here. So he's probably gonna, he's a betting favorite for the for the Masters in 2022 already. Um, and shout out to Louie, um, poor guy, feel for him, but played great golf this year so far. Um, maybe we can get a win on the on the tour before it's all said and done this year. Um, but going back to my foursome, I'd pick Cantlay, didn't even make the cut, so not good by me. Hovland, uh, pretty decent showing, uh, T12 at six under. Um, went low on, on Sunday with a four under round to get up there, then I had um, Louie, uh, we just talked about uh, had a decent performance, um, and then Brooks also played pretty well on Sunday. Um, was a few bad breaks away from probably being 10, 11 under and getting more money, but um, just a solid showing. A lot of big names up on the board. That was really good to see. Um, course was very receptive. Um, people liked it. I, I enjoyed watching it. Played tough, but also didn't. Uh, obviously, look at the score, Morikawa. Uh, 15 under par, or 13 under, or 15 under par. Yep. Um, so, pretty pretty low score, but still, I mean, not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but sad that the majors are done. But now we've got the Olympics, and then some some playoff golf coming up next month with the FedEx Cup, um, Northern Trust, the BMW, and then the Tour Championship. So. And the Ryder Cup. Yep, and the Ryder Cup in September over at Whistling Straits on the other side of the lake. There, that's gonna be fun to watch. Um, but yeah, just super excited for that coming up. But also sad that the major season has ended. Um, but love, love uh, some some competitive golf, and that's what we're going to see here for the next couple months. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean we had a pile of them starting last August. So in eleven months, we've had all the majors basically, or eight, seven majors because the British wasn't played last year. So. Uh, we will miss it, but like Ryan said, there's plenty of golf yet to carry us through until we get diehard into college and, and NFL football. All right, moving on to second down as we started last week. little position previews for Michigan State football. So if you're not a Michigan State fan, um, either take a nap during this couple-minute segment or fast-forward or whatever you want, but our pod, our call. Uh, and this week, last week it was quarterbacks and running backs. This week it is wide receivers and tight ends. And like last week, I'll let Ryan take the mic and spotlight here and give us the lowdown. I'll weigh in from the peanut gallery like I did last week and like I'm always apt to do anyway. Um, Ryan, give us the lowdown on the Spartans' wide receivers and tight ends. Yeah, like I said last week, uh, Michigan State's offense could be very sneaky uh, this upcoming year. And... Uh, we're moving over to the to the wideouts and tight ends, the pass catchers, um, and this is I think the wide receivers are the the strongest position group on this football team. Um, underrated, I think they're probably top twenty in the nation. Honestly, probably second or third in the Big Ten, only behind Ohio State, um, who's got like three or four NFL guys already. But um, Michigan State's in really good position. Start with the guy, um, newly minted number one, first number one since. Charles Rogers, R.I.P. Chuck. Uh, that's Redshirt Jr. and former Western Michigan Bronco Jaden Reed. 
Uh, I think this guy's got all Big Ten written written all over him, man. I think this guy, he, he's got speed. Uh, he's gotten a lot stronger in the offseason. He's got really good hands. Um, really, really good route runner. Very crisp, smart football player. Has a really good rapport, like we talked about last week, with, with Peyton Thorne, who, who, who we think is going to be the starter. Um, you know, I think this guy, like I said, he has potential to be all league. Um, be as a returner, uh, playing in the slot, getting him involved in the run game a little bit, throwing screens, um, using him vertically. This guy's going to be a stud. So watch out for number one, Jaden Reed. Um, brings me to the number two guy. Um, one of my favorite players the last couple years. Uh, needs to stay healthy, but if he stays healthy for a complete year, I think he's going to – he might end up going pro after this year, and that's redshirt junior number eight, Jalen Naylor. Um, the dude is just – he's a sprinter. He's a world-class Lightning sprinter. Lightning in a bottle. Uh, yeah. I mean, track state champion in high school in Nevada – um, he's led the nation in what was top ten in the nation in yards per catch last year. Um, had some really big ones against Michigan, Northwestern, to name a few. Uh, but big playability. Um, you know, I think I think he can have a really breakout, really a breakout year. I think he has some return game punch that could be used, but keeping him healthy is the most important thing. Um, needs to work on his hands a little bit. He's still a little shaky with some route running, but um, I think with a full year with this new uh, with uh, Peyton Thorne and then uh, Anthony Russo. Um, you know, I think that getting that's going to be really good for him um, to get routes down and get a good rapport with uh, Peyton and maybe Anthony. Um, I think he's going to have a really, really good year. I'm looking forward to seeing that out of Jalen. Um, then I'm just going to go through a few guys who I think will produce for Michigan State as well. I'll start with number three, sophomore Terry Lockett played a little bit last year as a true freshman out of Minneapolis, really good athlete, um, chance to bring depth to position, had a few catches last year, nothing crazy, but really athletic, like I said, really good high school basketball player. Um, yeah, definitely going to see the field. Don't know how much, but he'll be out there. Um, a guy that missed all last year, <clears throat> graduate senior C.J. Hayes, number four, uh, 6'2 receiver in 2019 had I think 12 or 11 12 or 13 catches um, so he's been there before like I said last year sat out with a back injury I believe uh, good size and hands possession receiver brings a lot of depth um, then number seven sophomore Ricky White we all know his name Michigan fans you know his name um, almost had 200 yards against Michigan last year um, he has big play potential written all over him um, he was played a little hurt last year which is Weird to see, uh, especially after that Michigan game, but um, just needs to stay healthy. He didn't play in the spring game, um, but another guy that has a chance to be really, really good um, if he can stay stay healthy and take care of himself. He's going to see a lot of snaps and probably a lot of targets as well. Um, a guy that did not play as much last year, that's number 17, Trey Mosley. Um, had a really good freshman year um, in a limited role, kind of came out at the end of 2019. Uh, it's a proven target, really, really good possession receiver. He's not going to burn you with his speed by any stretch of the imagination, but hopefully he's worked on that. Um, if he does show that speed, I think he's going to be the third or fourth guy in this rotation um, and could could be really good for us um, as, as a red zone threat. Um, another, speaking of red zone threats, number 80, Ian Stewart, uh, had a really big spring game Showed with a, showed his athletic ability with high pointing a pass from uh, from Noah Kim there in the spring game. Uh, really big body, things like six three two thirty. Played quarterback in high school. He's so maybe Keyshawn Martin type, but not as fast. Uh, but definitely could break through. Another guy could be a red zone threat for us. Maybe play a little tight end. Who knows? Uh, that's where he was last year, but switched back to receiver. Lost some weight. Um, number eighty three. Montori Foster, sophomore, um, played a little bit last as well. Another really good basketball player, had D1 offers, football and basketball. Chose football, obviously, as he's playing for the Spartans. Speed and athleticism is the, the name of the game here for him. Um, could crack the rotation. Could see him as a return guy. I don't know why Michigan State hasn't just taken a guy that's young and fast like that and just made him into a return man. I, I've never understood that, how they just use guys that – could get hurt like a Reed or Naylor, but I digress. And then the last guy uh, that's coming back from last year could play Cade McDonald. Had a few catches against Michigan. 
uh, has a good rapport with Thorne, went to high school with him, athlete, good athlete, 6'2", I believe, uh, brings some depth, depth to position. Uh, Keon Coleman, he's going to be a freshman this year, he's also going to play some hoops. Uh, 6'4", he was our highest rated offensive player in the class of 2021. Um, he's going to wear number zero uh, for the Spartans, it looks like. Ugh. Uh, so that's kind of weird, but he's... I'll try not to hold that against him, but yeah. I hate that you can wear zero in any sport. But uh, expect him to see the field um, this fall because he can't keep a 6'4 athlete with speed and leaping ability like that off the field um, much much longer than a couple games. Well, and especially because uh, they had a little turnover. I can't remember his name now. The 6'6 guy that made a spectacular grab against yep. Penn State that transferred to, I think, Kentucky. Yeah, right? Morgan. He's out. Yeah. Um, you know, what I like about this group is that you got a couple established guys and then you've got some guys that have kind of been waiting in the wings and then you got new guys. So the new guys always push the established guys. The established guys always plus push the stars. The stars are always reaching to get better, get to the NFL. Um, you know, if we can stay healthy, especially in the top four or five there, I mean, there is a lot of talent and a lot of weapons. So, you know, when you got Reed and Naylor on the field together, you can't just pick one to double. I mean, you're going to have to... You can maybe send some safety help over the top, but you're gonna you're gonna have to just go single coverage. And you know if Naylor can and and even Reed can hang on to the ball a little bit better this year than they did at times last year with their breakaway speed and or juke ability and things like that. Um, you know, if, assuming the line can give the quarterbacks enough time, and we'll get to the line next week, I think that that is a true strength and something that's going to be you know even beyond those first couple names that most people would know. Um, is a group that's going to have Spartans fans really excited for the future uh, going forward. And let's face it, Michigan State's best offensive teams especially have had kind of that three groupings of a couple of studs, a couple of up-and-comers, and a couple of freshmen with high expectations. Um, you know, you think back throughout the D'Antonio time and, and back even beyond that. So I think they're set up to do pretty well here. Yeah, we got a, also have a 6'4 transfer from Louisville's brother. Um, plays in the NFL. His name's Christian Fitzpatrick. Uh, 6'4, like I said, is from Detroit. Big body, so he'll provide some depth. And He's got big playability in the future, so another guy to add depth there. Uh, moving over to the tight end position, one that's struggled um, since Josiah Price. His last year was 2016, so it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the offensive line in the running back room. Um, but this needs to be a solid position for Michigan State blocking and catching passes. Um, yeah, we, we need that. And I'm just going to go down number order. Uh, number 44, Junior Adam Berghorst, Zealand boy. Um, he played a little bit, really big bodies, like 6'7", also pitches on the baseball team, got drafted in MLB, I think, last year. Coming um, out of high school, yeah. Yeah, um, he provides depth. I don't know how much he's going to see the field with some of the guys we have, but... Um, and, he's, he was, and he was recruited as a DN, too. So they kind of moved in there out of necessity. So it'll be interesting. He's got right. the size and the athleticism, but he also missed all spring because he was playing baseball. So, you know, that can only last so long. And a lot of times those double sport guys kind of that really try to be great at both kind of become average at both at best. So we'll see. Hopefully he can at least provide some good depth. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, number 81, Redshirt Jr. Parks Gissinger, another former DN turned tight end. Uh, another guy that's going to provide depth, probably to be a special teams guy for the most part. Um, this is a guy I'm really excited about. Number 82, true freshman Cam Allen uh, from Texas. 6'5", uh, played a little receiver in high school. He's about 225. Needs to probably get up to 235, 240 to be a, a big-time tight end. Um, but I think he's got a chance to play early, especially with, like I said, we're kind of thin, don't have much going for at tight end right now. But this guy uh, enrolled early, uh, already viewed as a leader in the tight end room as a true freshman. Uh, that's really good to hear. Know he's got great hands. Um, but like I said, needs to put on some weight and become a better blocker. But he could be a special player in a red zone threat as well. Pitts kind of guy. Yeah, hopefully that's Hybrid, what, maybe receiver, what they're envisioning. Uh, that would be cool if we could have a guy like that um and then a guy who's been he's just ready to break through and that's number 88 redshirt junior trent gillison uh from pickerington ohio uh had a couple big games a couple years ago last year was dinged up um he just needs to put it all together he's become a better blocker i know he's got really good hands um great athlete he's like six four six five two fifty 
Um, if he can just put it together, I think he's going to be a great asset to Michigan State's offense. Um, and then two guys that former specialists, Evan Morris, number 92, and Tyler Hunt, number 97. A couple of kickers. Former kickers and punters. Uh, Tyler Hunt actually played a decent amount last year. Scored a Had the only rushing touchdown on the team last year yeah, on a, a little tight end sweep. Weird. At Iowa. Um, and then a guy coming in, uh, Purdue transfer Malik Carr, um, tight end slash wide receiver hybrid, getting back to that. Uh, I think he could be an immediate impact type of guy uh, playing both positions. Also needs to be a better blocker, but also great size, 6'4", 235. Um, Common theme with, with Tuck, you don't you, even out of these receivers, Reed might not be quite six foot, but, I mean, none of these guys are under six feet. They're tight ends you wouldn't expect to be anyway, but – you know he's going for big, fast athletes. The tight ends in the mold of the you know the pits and the the guys that are a little bit more of the stretch the field hybrid types. I mean you you got to have you'll have a couple of those guys Gissinger and probably Berghorst maybe that are stay home blocker type guys. You know when you need to kind of go jumbo package or whatever. But I think the big story there for me from tight end is there's a lot of potential yet to be seen. But there's a lot more depth than there has been, so that's yeah, the key. Really is good. I mean, it's a like any position in football, you can wear through guys pretty quick with injuries. So, um, you know, I think that that's going to be an underrated, important part of an extension of the offensive line, and you know, a security blanket. They need a security blanket type slash red zone threat, like a guy that can just kind of camp on the on the goal line and make that big catch by you know screening guys out with his body. Um, you know, can can make some good chip blocks, can make a big play downfield on third down, give the you know, we got a lot of big play home run hitters at wide receiver, so this is has got a chance. Um my confidence is about a C right now on him, I would say, which is probably about where it is on the offensive line, even with some experience. So I think as that group tight end and O line goes, this potentially really high octane offense will go. But we'll talk more about line next week. Yeah, and if we can get into games where we're, I mean, our defense might not be as good, but if we can score points, we're going to be able to stick in games with good teams, so that would be really good to see. Uh, like you said, next week, offensive line will be the name of the game. Uh, then we'll get into the defense, and then we're going to start talking some uh, season picks uh, for the Big Ten, Michigan State, and more, so uh, looking forward to getting that. Really, really excited for college football coming up, so it's a great time of year. NFL preseason in a couple weeks. First game, Hall of Fame game. So we're rolling. Yeah, we're going to be rolling, that's for sure. And if you're starving for football, even though preseason NFL is just god-awful, it is right around the corner, that Hall of Fame game especially. You just said, what, Cowboys-Steelers in that one? Yep, Cowboys-Steelers. Um, yeah, we'll get all beat about a quarter maybe of starters, but still, it is football if you can call it that at this time of the year. All right, third down. We're going to switch it up from what we usually talk about, and assuming, hopefully, that we will have an Olympics, we're going to do a little Olympics preview. And we're also going to bring in a guest here this week in just a couple of minutes, um, someone who knows a little bit about what goes into prepping for an Olympic sport. But before we do that, there are an awful lot of sports in the Summer Olympiad these days. I don't know if you pay attention until the actual Olympics or if you pay attention at all, but there are we're, uh, some head-scratchers. We're going to go through them in a second. Some are classics, of course. Others make me wonder, what in the, you know what, <laughs> are, are we thinking? Um, either keep these few that I'm thinking that in the X Games if they even still have that, or do another world championship tournament for some of these, but please, not the Olympics. I mean, seriously, you're just trying to fill two weeks of TV? I mean, there are some really weird, not spectator-friendly, I don't think, stuff in there, but we'll get to those in a minute. Um, and I'm going to say, first, there's way too many sports that either need to go, or they need to go to the X Games, or world championship, or keep it in the backyard. So I'm going to throw a couple of these at you. I don't. We won't necessarily name them all. I think it's something like 37. But Ryan, let's just kind of go back and forth a little bit on on these. Tell me, uh, give me your belongs in the summer summer Olympics or not archery. Uh, I mean, it used to be on that old Mario and Sonic game. So yeah, yeah. Why the heck I, not? I guess I don't know much about it. Um, badminton. Come on. No. <laughs> 
it's, it's kind of crazy when you watch it if you've ever seen it. It's nuts the way these guys. But like, come on, that's a backyard boozing up Fourth of July party game. Baseball, softball, those aren't Olympic sports to me. That's not I don't like think so either. That's not the original Olympics games. Great for a World Championship tournament or something. Fine. And honestly, same for me with basketball, um, especially three on three basketball. Yeah, what three? No, the Gus Macker. What the hell? Normal basketball is okay to me, okay. but three on three—that's a joke. Yeah, ba- basketball. I mean, I guess if you're going to get rid of baseball and softball and make it tournament play, maybe you need to do the same with basketball. I'm a little more lenient because I love basketball, but beach volleyball. I mean, it's fun yes. to watch. It's pretty cool, and volleyball is a is a a game you know in the Olympics that I that I like. So I, I could stand with keeping beach volleyball, boxing. No, I mean they no wear way. the headgear and stuff. I mean I don't I don't know canoe slalom canoe sprint. No, <laughs> canoeing is for the Al Sable River up north. I mean come on, that's an Olympic sport. No, by the way, no offense to the people who train really hard to be the best at these things, but. It ain't going to be on TV. Nobody cares. Um, cycling, BMX, freestyle, racing, and mountain biking. That's like X Games. What is that doing in the Olympics? Now, road and track cycling, I, you know, like the old, what do you call it, the pelodrome or whatever, where they're racing like Indy 500 style. I mean, that, okay, I mean, I'm not into that stuff, but I, I could get that. Maybe not road. That's kind of like Tour de France. Do we really need that in the Olympics? I don't know. Diving, yes, definitely keep that. Equestrian, I don't know what do you think about equestrian. No, that's not an Olympic sport. I, is it really? I mean, I have a person who works with me that you know it done has done some level of this, and I'm sure that it's extremely difficult. She would probably kill me to say that it's not an Olympic sport, but I don't know that it should be an Olympic sport. How about fencing? No, <laughs> I agree. Is it on TV? <laughs> No, that should be the judges. If it's on TV and normal human watching hours, it can stay. Soccer, they have the World Cup. They have CONCACAF. It doesn't need to be in the Olympics, I don't think. Honestly, same for golf. I mean, they only added golf a couple of years ago. I guess as for us as golf fans, it's kind of like a mini tournament with some of the best of the best. But right. I, don't know, I don't think that belongs in the Olympics. Gymnastics, that's fine. Artistic, rhythmic, that whatever the really Will Ferrell stuff and old school. That's fine. Gymnastics is good. Handball, that's one we should say yes to because Ryan yes. did a little internship with the Detroit Handball Club. That actually looks super interesting. It's a fun sport. To Look play. it up if you haven't seen it. I think that's got some potential. They say hockey. I don't. It's clearly not ice hockey. I don't know if that's field hockey or whatever. It's not on TV. It shouldn't be there. How about judo and karate? No. <laughs> Great. Modern pentathlon, that's track related. Okay, that's yeah, fine. Whatever. Rowing. Yeah, rowing's yeah, okay. Rowing. That's fine. Yeah, that's Rugby, fine. again, like the other, te- kind of more like the other team sports. The Olympics feels to me like it should be more, you're playing for your country, but it should be more individual sports. I'd say no to rugby. Sailing, no, who's going to watch that? No, no. Shooting, I guess that goes with archery. That's fine. Skateboarding, that is an X Games. That does not belong no. in the freaking Olympics. By the way, there's some like 13 or 14 year olds. It's a 12 year old. or 12 year old. Sport climbing, don't even know what that is. I assume it's like mountain climbing or whatever. I, again, that feels X Games to me. Surfing, really, that's not Olympics. No. Swimming, definitely. All aspects of it. Um, table tennis aka ping forest forest Forest. he wasn't in the olympics though i mean again like badminton crazy hella fun to watch but i don't think it's an olympic sport um regular tennis that's kind of like golf i don't mind it but it doesn't really belong you already have four majors you have plenty of tennis tournaments i just i don't see that trampoline gymnastics that's in gymnastics category, so I guess yeah. it's kind of crazy what they can do. Don't we know somebody locally, Ryan, that wasn't um, Willikus? His brother was like a Olympic yeah. trampoline gymnast, I think, or Something Olympic caliber. Like that, Triathlon, yeah. that can stay. That's, you know, run, bike, swim. Not in that order, obviously. Volleyball, I'm fine with that. Water polo, very cool sport. Our guest could speak to that in a minute. I, that's kind of like handball, but in the water, so I'm okay with keeping that. Weightlifting... I mean, no. wrestling, I mean, I 
I wrestling is original, like way back in the day, Greco Roman, blah blah blah. Yeah, weightlifting is kind of like this is where you got like the chicks with you know what posing as. I don't don't get me started there. Um, a lot of these are actually new sports. Again, I'm not really sure why. If Japan is worried about you know what's going on with COVID and stuff, just cut half these sports out. And I'm again, no offense to the people who train really hard and have a history, and I'm sure are world class athletes and could kick my ass at any of these sports, no doubt. I mean, at at this rate, why don't we add cornhole and you yeah. know cup flip and pong beer pong? I mean, it's like come on. I think we're getting a little bit away from the original spirit of the Olympics. But that said, let's bring in here a special guest and get some of her take on the Olympics. All right, I'd like to welcome a special guest onto the podcast. I believe our third, no, fourth special guest now. Rachel is a Division Three college swimmer for the Hope Flying Dutch. She was all MIAA this year, so she knows and has been swimming very competitively since she was five years old, so she knows a thing or two about swimming. So in the vein of Olympics, we already ran through, Ryan and I just kind of ripping out what we think should come out of the Olympics. One that we completely agree should be in is swimming. So we wanted to bring her on and get uh, her perspective from somebody who participates in Olympic sport, um, what that's like. So we've got a couple questions for Rachel. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. All right. As a highly competitive college swimmer who had to swim in empty natatoriums last year, what will it be like for these swimmers to have no fans in the stands when they're swimming for gold? Well, having to swim in meets last year with having no fans at all was extremely difficult because personally I believe that fans bring a lot to the sport and having extra people in the crowd and that support is super important because Even though your teammates can be loud, it's not the same as having a bunch of people up in a crowd screaming for you because the energy is so much lower when there's not people in the crowd. So I definitely think that will be something that impacts the ability for the United States swim team to do well because they don't have their families there to be able to support them and for them to be able to see them after they like do a well well in a race and stuff I just think it's going to definitely impact some of the abilities especially some of the younger swimmers who are inexperienced I think that it might be tough for them when they can't look up in the crowd and see their support system being up there for them. yeah familiar face so what's it like so obviously you're you're below the stands all the places that we've been to and watch you in the same in like an Olympic venue crowds up above you a decent amount how much can you really hear them when you're actually swimming in a race, you can hear it. It's pretty muffled, but you can still hear it when you're actually swimming. Because, honestly, when you're swimming, there's so much splashing going on that you can't really hear what's going on. But before the race, when you're walking up, it's huge because the noise just is what gives you the adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's a good answer. That's kind of what I thought, too. And, yeah, I mean, your head's you're in the water, you're in and out of the water. But I could imagine, too, just like... You could probably feel the energy, like you said, more at the end. I, you know, I think of back, I think it was in London when Phelps had that amazing out-touch in the butterfly when it looked like he was dead to rights and he beat him by like a fingernail. I mean, the place had to have been going nuts, even though obviously it was not in the U.S., but still, I would think you would feel that as an athlete. Mm-hmm. All right, so you talked a little bit about this and what it was what it would be like with no fans so walk us through what a swimmer goes through leading up to during and after a big race so you've got in context state meet coming up you've got futures which by the way is just a step below olympic trials um you've got that coming up next week in alabama walk us through when you're getting to a big race especially let's not say that it's the prelims or it's the semifinals, but it's actually like the finals race and I, I know you don't swim a whole lot of prelims but you do you know kind of morning and the night finals type of thing was it what do you go through you know you're one of the top eight and you're swimming in this case for a gold medal what walk us through that well before the whole entire race actually starts I think the whole entire process itself is definitely more of a mental thing than a physical thing because you know you've put in the work and done all the yards so it's more of yourself convincing your mind that you can do it So from a mental standpoint, that's definitely what's most important for me. And I know that's something that a lot of athletes, especially swimmers, struggle with. So you have to be mentally ready for it. 
leading up to the race, like I said, if you're a top eight finisher, you get to do all the stuff where you walk out and have the music playing, get to see the fans and have your name called. So leading up to that moment, it's just pretty special and you try not to think so much about what's going on before everything. You just think about what's going on in the moment because you don't always want to think about your race because then you'll be nervous. But during the race, there's not much going on through your head except I got to get it to the wall first. You obviously go through the stages of pain and then you start to go through exhaustion, but there's nothing more important than you fighting to be the first person to the wall. And after the race, like you touch and you see that you were the one that won or you improved your time, just like seeing that is just so, it's so awesome to just know that all the hard work that you've put in has finally paid off. And a lot of times, like I know Olympians have said this and like I've said it too, it's like I don't even know what to say right now because I'm just washed over with emotion because you can't believe that you've actually done something that you thought was so out of reach. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, and there's not really too many sports where you can have that feeling, I don't think. And that's, in my mind, is what the Olympics should be, is more of that. And nothing, again, against team sports or whatever, because you're still fighting as a team, and you want to win as a team. And there's team things in swimming, like relays. Which, by the way, I didn't throw that to you as a question before, but how is that different, being in a relay, no matter which position you are? Is that different than when you're swimming in an individual race? 100% yes, it is completely different. Because when you are swimming for yourself, it's a lot different because it's all mental from that standpoint and you feel like there's a lot of pressure on you. But when you're in a relay, you know that you have to do this for your team. So no matter what, you need to perform. So it's just completely different than if you're doing it yourself. Hmm. Good answer. All right. For those out there who may not necessarily know, and we, we have some turnover on the U.S. Olympic team. The, you know, the years two or three three Olympic cycles, I think, with Mike, or maybe even four with Michael Phelps, and um, who was his big other guy that got Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte, and I mean, lots of other names that you would recognize over the last few Olympic cycles are not there anymore because they've aged out or they've retired or whatever. Um, you know, Katie Ledecky's probably the most well known on the team this year, distance freestyler specialist extraordinaire could could actually I think with four golds tie or break the the record for women's gold medals period in the Olympics which would be pretty cool but aside from her we don't have you know we don't go in of course we'll be good and favored in a lot of things but we don't have those those famous names to rely on so Rachel give us a guy and a girl to watch for maybe what events they swim and and you know some couple people to root for um so for the guys, definitely somebody that I think that you should be watching this year. Um, I think he's 19 years old, and he is going, or I don't know if he's there yet, or he went there for freshman year, but he goes to U of M. And he, it's, his name's Jake Mitchell. He just qualified for the 400 freestyle, so that's his only event that he has, I think. I believe. I don't know if he's in any realize, but he had to swim the 400 free at the Olympic trials by himself as a time trial and because he had to um make the a cut in order to make the team or else if he didn't somebody else would have to go in the position who had a faster time in previous meets and he ended up making the time in a time trial swimming completely by himself with nobody to race so i think that throwing him into the olympus could be something that's interesting considering he did that on his own without anyone to race and just I think that that would be interesting to see how he does in a situation where knowing that he could do it by himself what he could do with having people around him and I also think that people know his name but you should watch out for Caleb Dressel as a man too because he's one of he is the fastest man in the world right now he's probably just as good as Michael Phelps was so he's definitely somebody to watch um, like you said, Kayla Decky for females is obviously the huge one. She'll probably win all of her races. Um, I think that's 200, somebody, 400, 800, 1500 free, right? Yes, and she'll be on relays and such. I definitely think for females, somebody that um, newly, she newly qualified for the team this year. Her name's Annie Laser. I think that she's definitely somebody that you should watch. Um, she, this year, her father unexpectedly passed away about two months ago, or it might have been in May, before um, Olympic trials, and I know that definitely took a toll on her, so she had to fight and come back from that tragic loss, 
and she ended up qualifying in the 200 breaststroke and beating Lily King, and I definitely think that she has the opportunity of um, winning that event actually at the Olympics, so she's definitely somebody to watch, and I think for sure some of the younger girls like Tori Husk and um, Claire Cruzan in the 100 fly, um, I mean, Tori is my age, and Claire's two years younger than me, and I definitely think they are people to watch because of how young they are, and they are the future of USA Swimming. Awesome. Well, great insights. Rachel, it was awesome to have you on. We'll have to have you on again. We don't talk about swimming probably enough since it's been your sport since you were five, just like basketball was Ryan since he was five. We appreciate you having on. We're going to root for all those swimmers in the Olympics, and maybe we'll have you come back on to tell us about um, you know, those gold medal winners for the U.S. and and what you know about them afterwards. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that was great to have Rachel pop in and give us kind of her perspective. Um, Certainly not one that I could give you, not one that Ryan could give you from a true Olympic athlete, um, you know, Olympic caliber athlete, an Olympic sport from that perspective. So third down out of the way, we will go to fourth down. Um, As we noted noted a little earlier in the podcast, Ryan and I took a nice little jaunt north uh, with – my Brunkle, um, the story behind that, Uncle Tom, dad's half-brother, It's only about six years older than me, more like my big brother. People thought he was my brother when I used to belong to a club, when we played a member guest, so we just kind of went with brother, and then we morphed it into Brunkle. Anyway, Brunkle Tom and his son Brad, who's a junior to be at Miami of Ohio, they smoked us over the weekend, just for the record, um, but it was our fourth annual trip and is always fun. We played 54 in two days, and we're not going to give you a course-by-course review, so we won't you know, take you 15, 20 minutes through every single course, but we're going to give you a little bit of a Garland Resort review, um, in particular Monarch, Fountains, and Swamp Fire. There's another one, Reflection, as well. Uh, for those who don't know, Garland is in Lewiston, Michigan, God's country. It is pretty much smack dab if you do the hand mitten map of Michigan, smack dab up middle and north probably an hour or so hour and a half from the bridge maybe um kind of triangulate to the east um from garland almost dead between garland or sorry grayling and gaylord so lots of good golf up there lots of good skiing um you know first time i'd ever been there it's super interesting because you know like anywhere they're struggling for people but the courses were really in great shape minus the sand traps were pretty eh. you don't want to be in sand traps anyway but you know tee to green it was great different layouts three very distinct courses i would say that we played um i'll definitely go back you know i think back in the day treetops up in gaylord was a great one then that one bankrupt and that's been really struggling since then i think that you know, I played a course or two there way, way back when. This was definitely better than that. Um, maybe not quite to Boyne no, caliber, but pretty close, close, though. I mean, pretty close. Not not much around it, for sure. Not, you know, on the lake or anything like that. But uh, great property, you know, and the deal. Jeez, if you're interested in going up there this year, three we paid three seventy nine for two nights lodging and... Uh, three rounds of golf. So, and breakfast. And bre- yeah, free breakfast. So think about that. You know, Ryan and I played Harbor Town earlier in the year with a caddy. It was four fifty a piece for one round of golf. This was three rounds, two nights, two breakfasts for three eighty each. So definitely a really good deal. Um, really good golf. And hallelujah, the mosquitoes up there weren't nearly what they've been in Grand Rapids, which is good. Although the monarch. While there were a lot of monarch butterflies, for sure, probably more than I've ever seen in any one place, there were all also a lot of, I don't know if they were moths or butterflies or what, they were everywhere. They didn't bite like mosquitoes, but that was a little nuts. But that's just kind of my quick little overview, Ryan. I don't know if you have anything to add overview-wise for the for the resort itself. Yeah, just it was a cool place. Like you said, kind of in the middle of nowhere, but uh, it's awesome. All the courses are right there, uh, stayed right on property, uh, get a nice... Lodge there, got some condos slash cottages, um, you know, uh, some restaurants on on site, um, all that good stuff. So good good place, uh, really good experience, definitely would go back um, and played three of the four courses, all really fun and unique, like you said, so definitely would go back. 
Now, so let's go, I mean, and very unique courses too. Like, so Monarch was probably the tightest course. Absolutely. Some really tight holes. Um, you know, nothing that's like standout spectacular. Fountains, which is their signature course, was phenomenal all the way around. Very difficult. The starter tried to talk us out of playing the blue tees. We picked blue tees based on, as Ryan and I always do, slope and rating. And it's like, okay, it's in the 130, mid-130s. It's fine. It's about what the other It was hard. It was really hard. So for reference, uh, in the first round Friday, Monarch Tom shot a 79, and he's a, now a low 9 handicap. So that was still better than his handicap. Um, I shot a 91 with a 51 on the front. Um and it, but a 40 on the back and was feeling pretty good about my swing. Ryan was kind of right around there with me. Brad was right around there too, low 90s. Next day, next morning, first round, Tom shot a 94, 15 strokes worse. Brad, Ryan, and I were all upper 90s. I mean, it was the struggle was real. And it, but it wasn't like an unfun struggle because it was that good of a course. And then Swamp Fire, we went and played our own little match style. We did uh, alternate shot, which was which was a lot of fun too. Um, a lot of water on that course. So very, even though they're all in the same track, I mean it's one clubhouse for all four courses there. There's enough nuance and difference that I thought was pretty cool. But Ryan, what, let's let's pick a best hole from at least you know one or two or maybe all three of the courses. Yeah, from the Monarch, I mean. I liked a lot of them. I think the first hole I probably liked the best because it was my best score. Um, but just, I mean, I, I liked them all. I don't think there's any that I disliked. I'm trying to remember back, um, looking at the card here. Um, yeah, number one actually was really good. It's the number one handicap on the Monarch. Doug, like, right, water in front of the green. Uh, definitely liked that. Felt it was a very welcome, welcome to up north golf and had that feel to it. Yeah, I would um, agree with that. I really liked that one. Uh, Fountains. Um, I think I, I did terrible in the hole, but I think it was probably number two. Uh, straight to left to straight par five over a, a marsh slash swamp. Uh, really cool hole. Um, and then on Swamp Fire, um, third course that we played, uh, I think it was probably it was 16, short dog leg right, uh, par four. Um, really fun hole, um, and we did good on yep. that one, so... Yeah, in our team game, and I would say uh, probably something on the back at Monarch for me because that's where I actually woke up and started to actually play some golf. Um, you know, some good holes there. Honestly, actually, even though I, yeah, I would say actually number 10. Number 10 was a good hole. It was a long, skinny par 5. Got me back on track, got a par on that one. I, I really liked that one. I think on Fountains, um, I got to agree with Ryan, probably – it would be a toss-up between number two and let's see was the other one was just flat out crazy number 14 so you picture it's a pretty long hole i mean it was well let's see here got the card it was like 375 plus from the blues and wide open to the right plenty of room to drive you know you maybe if you had a really long draw you could get into trouble into the pond slash pond of reeds basically to the left but from the fairway all you could see was the top half of the flag the completely guarded by a reed heavy pond that made up the whole left side of the hole woods behind a very tiny little landing bailout spot to the front kind of right of the green it's one of those go big or go home get it on the green or take an eight or nine I, I happened to go fairway green and had a four on that one. Um, just cool because it was just so daunting to look at it and go, I can only see the top half of the flag. I have no idea. I felt like I hit a good shot. I saw it bounce. That was about the only indication that I had that it was decent. That was a really good one. Swamp fire, um, neither of us hit it particularly well. Ryan's right 16 was a cool little hole. Um, short dog leg right where you crossed water to get to the green. Um, they had kind of an interesting par three. I think it was number four, maybe. Just this giant horseshoe of an area around a pond that they could put the tees in a million different places um, to a green on the uh, the other side of water. Uh, all the greens, especially at Swamp Fire and Fountain, very undulated, a little bit flatter, um, a little bit more benign at the Monarch, I would say. It would be interesting to play the reflection. The one starter actually said he likes the reflection the best, even though 
um, fountains is the is kind of their signature. So um, that said, you know, worst holes. I don't know that there's any really bad ones. I mean, no. there's holes that you play poorly that you'd like to dump right. off your scorecard. But um, what would you rate it overall between the three courses for greens, right? For greens, um, uh, I'd probably go 3.75. I mean, nothing spectacular. Um, Not overly fast. The fountains no. were probably the fastest. Lots of undulation. Great right. shape, for sure, all three. So, I, yeah, I'd agree with that, 3.75. How about for scenery? Yeah, I mean, nothing nothing crazy, but I'll, I'll say 3.75. I mean, there's water around. There's trees. Yeah, water up north. It's very up north, like Not pines really and that kind of stuff. Not really crazy elevation changes. A couple holes yeah. that are elevated tees and whatnot. Pretty but flat, though, yeah. Yeah, nothing crazy, yeah. but still pretty a pretty golf course. Even though, anecdote, uh, I looked happened to look before. It's like 852 feet elevation there compared to here in Grand Rapids. It's like 450, so it's like twice as high. But there's it's not like Boeing where you have ski hills worked in. Which makes me wonder how they can, I mean, I guess they probably have a lot of cross-country skiing in the winter, but i got to imagine it's tough for a golf resort to stay solvent and in really good shape, especially in these times when you don't really have winter traffic like Boeing does built in. Um, how about for variety? Yeah, uh, I'd go solid 4.2 with that. I think it was a really solid variety some long holes some really short par threes longer par threes mm-hmm. uh same with par fours and fives so i think i think dog legs you know water yeah, holes legs, water, the three courses were really distinctly shots. different so yeah i'd go 4.25 there too um you know just even course to course let alone within the courses you had some some good variety too uh overall rating ryan minus yeah. the big l that we took yeah I, i'd say four a solid four point point two five um really enjoyed it uh would definitely come back like i said yeah I, um, I'd, I'd give it a good golf 4.25 as well and if you're going to go up there uh food on the on site's really good but go to the lewiston lodge on i think it was probably east twin lake yep good views really good food if you're a fan of the movie the great outdoors very um reminiscent of uh the place where John Candy eats the old 96er, although I was disappointed they did not have an old 96er on the menu. All right. Now that we're getting a little long because we had that great Olympic segment with a special guest, let's end as we always do with a sprint. This is apropos based on one of our topics. Ryan, top MSU wide receiver of your lifetime. Yeah, if, I mean, if I'm going to go in my lifetime, i got to go with Charles Rogers because he is, I mean, he's, he's amazing, but... From what I can remember, I'm going to go Aaron Burbridge, um, just a flat-out star. This is really actually a, a really hard one, I think, and I'll get to that when, when it's my turn. But, I mean, there's there's just so many. Michigan State is very underrated for wide receivers, I think. All right, best summer Olympic sport to watch. Yeah, uh, I, I have to say track or swimming. Oh, that was one that wasn't on. It wasn't called out as on the list. They had it as athletics. Track is obviously a great sport for, yeah, for the Olympics absolutely. as well. Um, dream golf trip. Uh, aside from Scotland, I'd say Bandon Dunes. Uh, adding sixth course, uh, construction TVD, but just an unbelievable yeah. place. Yeah, and best movie based on Olympic sports. The only sports. one I know, and it's a great one, Miracle. All right, for me, uh, like I said, there's so many. I, be, I can kind of vaguely remember Gibby, late 70s, but not much. Um I mean, yeah, like Andre Risen, Musin Muhammad, Derek Mason, plaques, but, you know, and some really good ones recently. But like Ryan, there's nobody like Charles Rogers. I and mean, that dude was a freak, fast, hands, great route runner. He rarely dropped the ball. I mean, he was phenomenal. Best of, best of a hugely great Hall of Fame type caliber group. Best Olympic sport to watch. For me, it's swimming, and it isn't even close. I mean, things like the 100-meter dash and track are pretty fun um, just because of the thrill of the quickness of the race. But for, for me, it's all swimming. I will sit and watch uh, just about all of it. Dream golf trip for me, it's 10 days in Scotland, Ireland, England to play as many as the open courses as I humanly possibly can, even if I shoot 110 every day. Best movie based on Olympic sports. Yeah, Google it. There's not a whole lot out there. There's eh, a few. There's some older ones. You got to go with Miracle. There's just nothing been touched. And, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody else will throw something out there. I mean, you got things like Cool Runnings and some fun ones like that. But it's it's Miracle all day. All right, Ryan, hit us up with some final social media relation yep, reminders. Uh, follow us on 
on uh, Twitter at the Final Score Thirty Five. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Keep shooting us ideas. Um, JG, we got you. Yeah, we got JG, you coming we got up. you. Thanks for the idea. We're going to do that in the next couple weeks here. Uh, but yeah, appreciate you guys. And that's it for this week. As Ryan said, share those ideas, likes, dislikes, etc., via our Twitter. And if you have a hot topic for us to debate, let us know. Next week, maybe we'll see the end of the NBA Finals, or will they stretch the if if uh, the Suns win Game Six, will they stretch Game Seven to like August? I, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we'll probably have that. We'll have a little bit of Olympics, maybe, hopefully. Uh, definitely more and more college football start to creep into the NFL a little bit. We got JG's topic, so we've got no shortage of things to talk about. So stay tuned. Thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, remember when you pull on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates. And the name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the one on the back. Get that through your head. Thank you.